Thou wast transfigured on the mount, O Christ our God, revealing thy glory to thy disciples as far as they could bear it. Let thine everlasting light shine upon us sinners through the prayers of the Theotokos, O giver of light, glory to Thee. Is risen. Christos Anesti, Christ is risen. How are you all doing tonight? Welcome back to another live stream Bible study from Tarpon Springs, Florida, downtown in Father Trifon Hall. My name is Father Athanasios Heros. I'm the Dean here at St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral, and I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries. It's wonderful to be back to our Bible study. Last week we had our first session in many, many months. Tonight we have session 22 of our Bible study, and we will be following homily 21. I'll get to that in just a moment. If you are new to our Bible study, welcome. And I want to let you know how it works. So our Bible studies are based on the homilies of St. John Chrysostom, who we believe in this context was writing around the year 385 AD as a priest in Antioch. Now, this is beneficial for us for multiple reasons. First of all, if you understand that St. Paul was writing his letter to the church in Corinth, and Corinth was much like our modern-day America. It was cosmopolitan. It was highly educated, very wealthy. It was multicultural. It was also had uh, a lot of divisions. It was a very uh, broken community in that sense. And so we can benefit from what St. Paul is offering a community that is very much like our modern-day American society. And St. John Chrysostom, when he was the priest in Antioch, that city, too, was much like modern-day America. Very wealthy, very cosmopolitan. It was a big city, uh, one of the biggest in its day, and uh, also very divided. So we have a lot of similarities. So when we're learning from St. Paul, through the inspiration of St. John Chrysostom, we really are getting a double benefit, right? What St. Paul says, what the church has always said, and then we get something that benefits us for today. So, how does it work? We have a study guide. If you have not yet downloaded the study guide, you can find the study guide on my website at liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash Bible-studies. You'll see that there the studies on 1 Corinthians. If you go to session 22, there'll be a link both for the video and for the study guide. Now keep in mind, if you're new and you have to get caught up, all the videos are there from the previous 21 sessions. So if you're bored and you want to binge watch Father Athanasios, you have 21 hours to binge watch Father Athanasios. You'll also see on the website a previous Bible study that we had done on the book of Romans. I bet you can't guess what our next book is going to be. Hmm, think about it. Okay, so we have the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. 
if you have not downloaded, you're going to download it. Finally, there is a live chat room available if you're watching on YouTube. You have to be watching on YouTube in order to participate in the live chat. If you're not on YouTube, click on the left bottom, the right bottom of your screen and it says show on YouTube and then as long as you have an account, you'll be able to participate in the live chat. The chat room is moderated by Presvidera Vasi and I'm going to tone it down a little bit because, well, I mean, she really is very smart. I mean, she married me and all, so she's got to be pretty smart, but she really is an excellent moderator. She's having the, her own conversation. I see a lot of people are already online from all over the world, quite literally, different states, different countries, different continents, from what I can tell. And so if you have a question in the chat room, feel free to ask Presidera to bump it up to us. There's a few of us here tonight. We have a small crowd, so I'll be doing most of the reading and speaking. I hope you don't mind my voice. Let's see, what else do we have to talk about tonight? Oh, um, you may have noticed there was a commercial when you started the Bible study tonight. There is a, a fundraiser button, and we are asking if you are so inclined to donate. If we can reach a certain threshold, we will turn the commercials off. So you can help keep Be Transfigured commercial free by making a donation. Uh, and you also, if you wish to make a super chat contribution, you may do that as well. Okay, Presvitera, before we start, who do we have online? Father, we have Philip from Macedonia, Denise from Virginia, and Sandra from Bangkok. Island. Bangkok, wow, wow. All right, so... Let's go ahead and dig right... Oh, by the way, so we are... Um, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12 is tonight's study. So you want to open up your Bible and get that ready. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Let's go ahead and say our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, shine within our hearts, loving Master, the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. Instill in us also reverence for your blessed commandments, so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, think in doing all those things which are pleasing to you. For you, Christ, our God, the light of our souls and bodies, and do we give glory, together with the Father's up beginning, and your all holy, good, and life-creating spirit, now and forever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. One final reminder about the study guide. You'll notice, and the study guide is broken into three parts. The first part says text analysis. That is a very traditional chapter-verse kind of assessment of the, of the uh, scriptures. Then the next section you have is life application. St. John Chrysostom almost always, and in four years we've only had it happen once where he did not do this, where inspired by one, sometimes one word, maybe a verse, he extends into a teaching that is more current rather than about the scriptures. So we call that our life application. And then the last section is our send-off, something that gives us a challenge for our, the week until we're getting ready for our next Bible study. You'll see the section numbers on the study guide. 
they correlate to the sections that our editors have put into the homily. Obviously, those are not put there by St. John Chrysostom, but our editors have included the section numbers, and I have that in the study guide merely to help you find the various citations in the, in the passage itself, okay? So, there's a fly, by the way, here. If you see me going like this, there's a fly in here. All right, let's go ahead and start. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. I'll go ahead and read, and then we'll get going. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing that we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? So there's some really good stuff here that St. John Christum is going to help us kind of open up for our own edification. And I'm going to warn you tonight. If you have the ears to hear and the eyes to see, tonight's homily from St. John Chrysostom is incredibly challenging and strict. So open your hearts, allow yourself to be challenged by St. John Chrysostom and St. Paul, and I promise you, you will be the better for it. Okay, let's go right in. So section one, quote number one. St. Paul supported himself in his ministry. This is actually a pretty commonly known thing. He, Chrysostom says, He was used to forego even things permitted that he might not give offense, although without any law to enforce his doing so. So he continued his, his tent making uh, as, as a way of making a living. So he was not uh, dependent upon the, the resources of the church to make ends meet. But Chrysostom is pointing out, and really what St. Paul is saying here, is he chose to do that. There was no rule saying he had to do that. Okay? Point number two. The Corinthians deserved no mercy for idolatry. Right? So let's just dig right in and smack ourselves. Chrysostom says this. Now, if he did more than he was enacted, lest they should take offense, and abstained from permitted things to edify others, 
What must they deserve who abstain not from idle sacrifices, and that when many perish thereby, a thing which even apart from all scandal one ought to shrink from as being the table of demons, right? So there's the connection from what we talked about last week. We were talking about the food offered to idols last week, and so there's the bridge, there's the connection, that if it was good for St. Paul to refrain from getting the resources, even though he was deserving of that, what must more should they be refraining from when uh, they have uh, the partaking of the idols? So there's a pretty big challenge there for us. Section two in the homily, point number three. St. Paul is exalting himself not out of pride, but to prove his point. He had authority, but didn't use it. So listen to this. Yet disliking to say any great thing of himself, see how he has tempered both feelings as the occasion required, limiting his own panegyric, not by what he knew of himself, but by what the subject of necessity required. Right? So he, he, he's exalting himself, not because he wanted to be puffed up, but he's saying, look, I'm, he's, he's, let's just lay it straight. I'm worthy of, I'm, I'm, I'm allowed for this stuff, right? So, and he's going to go out and, 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 and make his point in a variety of ways. And if, so all of these things come to play in our life too, if we have the ears to hear. Point number four, St. Paul had all the requirements of an apostle, therefore he had all the rights too. Right, so these are rights and requirements and privileges and all that kind of thing as due to the apostles. What then, thou though be an apostle and free, and hast seen Christ, if you have not exhibited any work of an apostle? How then can it be right for you to receive? Wherefore, after he adds, are you not my work in the Lord? Right, so lest someone say, yeah, but you weren't there those three years as he was going from village to village to village. He's saying, look, I'm doing the same work they did. Okay, and I was, and he'll go, he'll go on to say that he saw Christ, etc. And so he's making the point: Look, if they have these rights and privileges and responsibilities and requirements, the same falls to me. Yeah, and, 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 and of course, right? So the the you didn't you didn't hear what she said that that St. Paul was chosen by his blindness, right? Christ made him temporarily blind. He didn't do that to the other apostles. You're right, absolutely. All right, point number five. As always, and this is something we have to remember about St. Paul, no matter how strict he gets. As always, St. Paul shows humility by admitting the work he accomplished was of the Lord. He never takes credit for what he did. Listen here. Moreover, because it was a great thing which he had uttered, see how he chastens it, adding in the Lord. For example, the work is God's, not mine. Right? How often do we find ourselves touting all of our credentials? Oh, I accomplished this. Oh, I accomplished that. Oh, I did this great thing. Oh, I did that great thing. Oh, I have this many Facebook followers. Oh, I have this many fans on my... Yet, yeah, what does St. Paul say? 
Yes, are you not my work? In the Lord, right? So he's reminded that even the great things that he's puffing up is because of God. It's not because of him. A good challenge for us as well. All right, section number three. This is my assessment here. The people must have been pushing back against St. Paul as if to say, who are you to tell us? Listen to what Christism says here. What is my defense to them that examine me is this. To those who seek to know whereby I am proved to be an apostle, or who accuse me as receiving money, or inquire the cause of my not receiving, or would fain show that I am not an apostle, to all such my instruction given to you, and these things which I am about to say, may stand for a full explanation and defense. So obviously, someone in the community must have been causing a ruckus. Who does he think he is telling us what to do? Mm -hmm. Right? Have we ever heard that before, right? Who does he think he is to tell me what to do? Especially, now remember, our extra benefit here is that Corinth and Antioch are both like modern America. And so reactions to St. Paul are going to be the same reactions today in America. Who do they think he is tell us how to live? Right? Well, St. Paul is going to explain who he is. So, section four, some of St. Paul's defense now. St. Paul uses common sense to prove his rights and gain their confidence. Chrysostom says this, For since which was the strongest point, he had proved from the apostles that it is lawful to do so, he next comes to examples and to the common practice as he uses to do. What soldier serves at his own charge, he says. Right? And I think this is really important. When we're talking about our life, it's very easy, especially when we're talking about the lofty things of the church and faith challenges. I think it's important, and I, I do my best in our Bible studies and even from the pulpit, to make things as practical as possible, too. Because if things get too lofty, then they feel unreachable. And they feel kind of, well, that's okay for them, but what about me kind of stuff. I'm wondering if maybe that's some of the stuff that St. Paul was encountering when he was speaking to the Corinthians, right? Because he's, okay, look, if it's not good enough to talk about the apostles, let's talk about some common sense stuff, right? Don't the soldiers, do, do they work for free? No, they, they serve and they're given the food, they're given their way of life, right? What, I can't do that as an apostle, he's saying? We do that in everyday stuff. So even for non-religious reasons, there should be a defense there. And so he's going to go and he's going to bring all these layers of defense, which I think benefits us in not only understanding what St. Paul says, but also I think to help us interact with our modern church and our modern congregations, right? By saying, look, this is, this is common sense stuff. This is not just... Um, Bible speak, I think, is the term that I'm, that I'm thinking of. Okay. Now, speaking of soldiers, point number eight. The work of the church is more dangerous than being a soldier. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. 
For such a kind of thing was the apostolate, nay, rather much more hazardous than these. For not with men alone was there warfare, but with demons also. And against the prince of those being was their battle array. Wherefore he proceeds to another topic also and says, Who plants a vineyard and eats not of the fruit thereof? For as the former he indicated his dangers, so by this his labor and abundant travail and care. He adds likewise a third example saying, Who feeds a flock and eats not of the milk thereof? He is exhibiting the great concern which it becomes a teacher to show for those who are under his rule. For in fact, the apostles were both soldiers and husbandsmen and shepherds, not of the earth, nor of irrational animals, nor in such wars as are perceptible by sense, but of reasonable souls and in battle array with the demons. Right? So, to put it in a simpler, so as not as philosophical, if it's good for common sense for someone to be able to live off of where they're working, in this case the soldier, he says the church work, if we acknowledge that it is war with demons and not war with another country, then the common sense gets elevated and say, look, if it's worthy of the soldiers, even more worthy of those who work in the church, right? Because our battle is not just the neighboring village, but our battle is with the demons. And the demons, of course, since they can't die, we can't just shoot them and move on to the next demon. So we have a much different and a much more difficult battle in the, in the church. So St. Paul's like, even more so, the apostles deserve their, their resources. I'm right, moving on in the homily to section 5, point number 9. St. Paul teaches about our rights and expectations using Old Testament allegories, right? So there's this again, rights and responsibilities and expectations. Christam says this, that whatever is said by the Old Testament respecting care for brutes in its principal meaning bears on the instruction of human beings, as in fact do all the rest. The precepts, for example, concerning various garments and those concerning the vineyards and seeds are not making the ground bear various crops and those concerning leprosy and in a word all the rest, for they being of a duller sort, he was discoursing with them from these topics, advancing them little by little. Now, I just have to remind everyone of how the study guide, what, what goes through my mind when I write the study guide, right? Ideally, I've asked everyone to read the homily in advance of Bible study. I do that because I'm only getting excerpts here and there and here and there. In fact, the expert excerpt that I just read, if you haven't read the homily, it's meaningless to you, right? Because what I'm doing is I'm reading the homily and I'm drawing inspiration between the homily and Corinthians and our modern day. So it's easy to read 12 verses of, of Corinthians 
Not so easy to read. I don't know how many pages the homily was for this, for this particular week. But I encourage you, set time aside to pre-read so that as I'm drawing the quotations out, you're getting the benefit there because there's so much I'm only drawing out a few. I mean, yes, okay, maybe a few dozen quotes, but that's just a fraction of what St. John Christum has to offer us. And as I've said a thousand times, they don't call him golden mouth for nothing. He really is and was the preacher par excellence in the history of the church. So please, I encourage you, do your reading in advance. It's always the, the homily next, so next week is homily 22. You have an entire week to read it in advance of our next Bible study. And I promise you, if you do that, you'll get even more out of our conversations. You may even have more interaction in terms of questions and that kind of thing because it's more um, familiar to us, right? Okay, moving on. Section 6 in the homily. Because the work of the church is spiritual, it deserves even greater rights than worldly matters, right? So, on the one hand, St. Paul is saying, since the work of the church is more dangerous, it requires more rights. That's a practical thing. The more dangerous your work, the more your compensation, even by modern standards, right? The more dangerous, the higher your salary. So the work of the church being against the demons is more dangerous and therefore demanding of compensation. Now he's saying, because it's spiritual and not physical, it's deserving of even more compensation. Right? I think that's an interesting take because many of us, we kind of push aside the spiritual warfare. We don't pay attention to the spiritual warfare as if it's not really happening. And here St. Paul is confirming that it is. So listen to what Chrysostom says here. He points out likewise another most reasonable cause on account of which they might justly receive. Vis-a-vis, -vis, having bestowed much greater gifts, no more as having labored only. What is it then? If we sowed unto you spiritual things, is it a great matter if we shall reap, reap your carnal things? I think our Bible says material things, doesn't it? Instead of carnal Yes, this is material. Yes, material things. So, again, there's that understanding that when we're talking about the spiritual life, it deserves greater commitment. I'll put it that way. Section 7. St. Paul makes one final push for them to abstain from idolatry. He says, if I, could, if I could have but didn't, shouldn't you also abstain? Right? So there's this, again, if we don't do what we're allowed to do, that's something greater. So he's really making one final push to abstain from idolatry. Again, this is the continuation of chapter 8 that we talked about last week. If you missed last week's Bible study, you can go back. Now if, we, now if we in a matter left free to us, and when we were both enduring much hardship and having apostles for our pattern, used abstinence lest we should give hindrance, and he did not say subversion but hindrance, nor simply hindrance but any hindrance, 
that we might not, so to speak, cause so much as the slightest suspense and delay to the course of the course of the word. If now, says he, we used so great care, how much more ought you to abstain, who both come far short of the apostles and have no law to mention, giving you permission, but counter, counter, contrariwise are both putting your hand to things forbidden and things which tend to the great injury of the gospel, not to its hindrance only, and not even having any pressing necessity in view. So let's see if I can unpack that a little bit. This is really where I think the big challenge comes from, right? How much more ought you to abstain who both come far short of the apostles, right? So if the apostles abstained and they had every right to partake, shouldn't you abstain too, right? The apostles have a much greater right to it and yet they abstained, right? This is the challenge that St. Paul's giving us. And I think it, this is where my warning was for tonight. That's a big challenge to us. To say, I might have a right to something, but someone who has a much greater right than me should invoke a sense of humility in my heart. It should challenge me. Wow, is my ego that out of control? That I'm demanding things as rights that those who have a much greater right to it have themselves chosen not to have those things. And this is where St. Paul's going. And this is where I'm, I must confess in my, own, in my own preparation for Bible study tonight, it challenged me and it has been sitting heavy on me that I fall into this trap of thinking I deserve something when those who deserve it much greater than I do, you know what, I really have to, to think twice. And that's going to be where St. John Christum, by the way, leaps into his life, uh, his life application. But we'll get there in a minute. We'll get there in a minute. So that's the, that's the big challenge. That's the big challenge for us. Okay, so that's the, that's the chapter verse. That's the text analysis. But as we said, before we move on, are there any questions from the chat room that we want to chime in? No. How many people do we have tonight? Do we know? Just the same four. That's it, huh? Well, that's okay. We'll get along. We'll get along. I did? Oh, wow, look at that. We did, not me. We did. Okay. All right, so our life application. So as I mentioned, we move away from the text analysis, and now Chris is speaking directly to our moral challenge. He was speaking late 300s in Antioch, very similar to our modern-day America. So, our life application this week is, as I call it, it's not about rights, it's about mercy, okay? And again, this is that sense of humility that, that uh, St. Paul and Christum are calling us to. So let's move on right to the very first one. And by the way, in the homily, you'll find these in section 8. Quote number 12, we are given mercy, we should show mercy. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. For this also did Paul, when he might have received, Christ having granted permission, he received not. Thus has our Lord in his mercy mingled much gentleness with his precepts, that it might not be 
all merely of commandment, but that we might do much also of our own mind. Right? Just think about that. We have received the mercy. Shouldn't we also show mercy? Right? This is, again, where, if you just go back to what we did in, in section 7, right? If, if we should be abstaining for something, because those who have that greater right, so he's saying, look, we had, they had mercy on us. Shouldn't we have mercy on them? Next point. This also really hit me hard from St. John Chrysostom. We pamper ourselves while we ignore those in need. You, I say, pampering and fattening yourself and extending your pautations to the dead of night and comforting yourself in soft coverlets does not deem yourself liable to judgment so lawlessly using the gifts of God. For wine was not made that we should be drunken, nor food that we should pamper our appetites, nor meats that we should distend the belly. But from the poor, the wretched, from this that is as good as dead, from him do you demand strict accounts? And do you not fear Christ's tribunal, so full of awfulness and terror? I mean, that really hits hard. Especially, I think, and again, Antioch had the same way of life that our modern America does. We are wealthy. We have all the... the What's it called? Uh, first world problems, right? Yeah. We have all of this amazing stuff, and we have everything at our disposal, and we're lounging, and we're this, and we're that. And dare we, to the poor, demand a stricter accounting? This is what really hit me, because we tend to, to look very harshly on, on those needing our help. Next point. So what does Chrysostom say? We ought to be punished for neglecting the poor. But we are worthy of innumerable punishments because we compel the poor to suffer such things. For if we would easily give way, never would he have chosen to endure such things. I've noticed in my life that Many poor people, in fact, every poor person I've ever met, would really prefer not to be poor. But many just don't know a better way. And they find themselves in a pattern. They find themselves where they are okay with living in a tent or okay with living under a bridge. But if you ask them, they'd really rather not be living under a bridge. So poverty does something to people, I have found, in my interactions with people. Now obviously in modern America we have a lot of mental illness, we have a lot of drug abuse, in the, especially in the homeless population. But I've never met anyone who enjoys being poor. I've never met anyone who enjoys being in need. You can argue about whether they care if they have a house or not, but... Um, that's been, that's been my experience. And so I, I hear this and I see, you know, we ought to be punished for neglecting the poor. What really have we done to, to ease the suffering of our fellow human beings? And this is what Chrysostom's point is. And so um, I think we have to acknowledge that.
in our in our book club, we read a book called How to Live a Holy Life, and one of the topics was one of the one of the way he defined being poor was, do you have enough money for your next meal? And if you don't have enough money for your next meal, you are poor. If you have enough for your next meal, you are not poor. And sometimes we like to think, well, I don't have two cars, or I don't have a garage, or I don't have a bedroom for every person that sleeps in my home. And we think that we're poor because we don't have so many things. But on one level, at least in the sense of holiness, being poor is, is can be more simply, I don't have money for to survive for food. That's really a great point. By the way, if you live in Tarpon Springs, she's referring to the weekly women's book club. Excellent, excellent study. And a very good teacher, might I add. Okay, next. Huh? You haven't had your supper yet. No, I haven't had supper yet. Okay, so here we are, section 9, quote number 15. We should use discernment in helping the poor. Chrysostom says this, There are other poor men of light and unsteady minds and not knowing how to bear hunger, but rather enduring everything than it. These often have tried to deal with us by piteous gestures and words in finding that they availed nothing. And what could a fierce demon do more? Next, you give him money in abundance that he may do these things more promptly. And to him he prays and calls on God and approaches with modesty. You vouchsafe neither an answer nor a look. Right? So there's this understanding that we have to use our discernment when we're helping people. All right, next. Section 10 in the homily, point number 16. It isn't just giving but giving liberally. Lest someone says, oh, I gave my dollar to the, to, the, to the bum and that should be enough. But if you give a little silver, you think as much of it as if you had laid out all you have, not knowing that not the giving, but the giving liberally, this is true almsgiving, right? And I think in the homily, he invokes the story of the widow's might that she had given so much more. Next point, section 11 in the homily. We must do the work of Christ, not just the church. This is an interesting distinction because a lot of people ask me, oh, you know, is just giving to the church? No, giving to the church is part of what we got to do, but not everything, right? So listen to what Chrysostom says here. For this cause do you not give, because the church ought to give to the needy? Because the priests pray, will you never pray yourself? And because others fast, will you be continually drunken? Do you not know that God enacted not almsgiving so much for the sake of the poor, as for the sake of the persons themselves who bestow? <laughs> right? I mean, I like that. What? Because the priest prays, you're not going to pray? Just because the church helps the poor doesn't mean we individually shouldn't help the poor. Right now, we can help the poor through the church, like here in America, we have the Ladies Philoptical Society. And I'll just put out a, 
a commercial for our Tarpon Springs Ladies Philopico Society. Last year, nearly $100,000 in charitable assistance, medical bills, uh, rent, electricity, etc. Um, amazing work by our Ladies Philopicos and through the generosity of people. So you can serve through the church, but that doesn't exempt us when we encounter people on the street. We still have an obligation to help the poor. All right, next one. Yes. Friend who once, when he felt like, whenever he finds himself struggling, thinking he doesn't have enough money or he's worried that he's not going to be able to pay for all, everything and he gets really stressed out, he will also write a check to a charity to keep everything in perspective. And that's how he, um, he reminds himself that, look, I might have these financial struggles, but somebody else needs my money more than I do, no matter what I'm paying for. You know, and, and that's a really good thing to do. Of course, there's many charities. I, you know, not every charity is equal in terms of what they need and whether they are good at what they do, especially at, um, now uh, it's very common to, you know, investigate a charity and make sure that they're actually doing the work that they say they're doing. Well, look, I get paid out of the collection, so what are we saying? I mean, that, again, but that's, and that's the whole, keep, now wait a minute now. So yes, other charities pay people, but that's no different. This is what St. Paul is saying. If they're doing the work of the charity, why shouldn't they get their living from the charity as well? That's not a bad thing. The priests, the secretary, the bookkeepers, we get our living from the church. Yeah, but like the Goodwill man's making a million dollars. That well, I, I'm not going to say if it's overkill or not. If if the goodwill, if the director of goodwill gets a million dollar salary, and goodwill is distributing hundreds of millions of dollars, is that really all that different than someone getting ten thousand dollars from an organization that gives a hundred thousand dollars out? I mean, we have to keep the we have to keep those things in, in line too. And who's to say? And who say what the goodwill director is doing with his own resources? Plus, you want someone skilled enough. You know. All right. Speaking of, uh, and this actually leads us to the very the very next point too, right? Even the church must give an accounting. Chrysostom says, which I which I think is a really good one. But when you see the greatness of her substance, bear in mind also the crowds of poor who are on her list, the multitudes of her sick, her occasions of endless expenses. Investigate, scrutinize, there is none to forbid. Nay, they are even ready to give you an account. But if I wish to go much farther, namely, when we have given in our accounts and proved that our expenditure is no less than our income, nay, sometimes more. So, Chrysostom right here is defending the church while also encouraging the people, go ahead, challenge the church. They'll give an accounting and they should give an accounting, right? Because, and again, this is, this is what the work of the church is. We have, you know, there are, there, are peop there are people that we serve, there's ministries, there's this. The church has to be accountable to that. All right, the church is not some kind of um, free-floating thing where it doesn't have to give an account, right? But what does Chrysostom say here? Remember, this is 
giving us an, 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 an indication of the church life at Antioch, he says, crowds of the poor, who, multitudes of her sick, her occasions of endless expenses, investigate, scrutinize, there is none to forbid, right? So then he goes, that prove our expenses no less than our income. So he's saying, look, whatever we take in, we're putting out. And I think that's what's really important because people look, oh my gosh, how much? But the churches should not be building up big giant bank accounts, right? No charity should for that matter, right? We take in, we give out. And if one year we take, a, we take in a little less, that year we give out a little less. But we should always give out what we take in. Okay, so here we are. We are now at our send-off. But is there, are there any questions from the chat room before we go to the send-off? Okay. So as I promised, the send-off is our opportunity to be challenged for the coming week as we prepare for next week's Bible study. So here we go. We will all give an accounting to God. Not just the church, not just the poor people, not just the apostles, but we will all give an accounting. And this is where it's really going to smack us. For each of us shall give account of himself to God, in order, therefore, that we may render up this account with a good defense. Let us well order our own lives and stretch out a liberal hand to the needy, knowing that there is only that this only is our defense, the showing ourselves to have rightly done the things commanded. There is no other whatever. So, and I think... I think back in the, um, uh, in the homily himself, he even talks about how Judas stole money. But that doesn't mean the entire church is judged by Judas's behavior. Again, if you're not reading the whole homily, you miss some of the context here that Chrysostom is offering us. So I think, I think this challenge here for us especially is all of us will, have an, will give an account. And if we think that we should not give to the church, maybe because one person did not do something that they should have done, again, in the case of Judas, then we're missing the entire point. The church needs our help, but we, more importantly, have to be doing the work ourselves. And that's something that I, I think it's, I, I, have, I have believed for a long time, if every member of the church did the work they're supposed to be doing, then the church would have less obligations to do that work. But it was St. Basil, right around the same time that St. John Christum is, is writing here, it was St. Basil that, that says, you know, let the church do the hospice, let the church do the hospital, let the church take care of the orphans. So those resources are coming in because then the church can more effectively help the, the needy people. But that doesn't exempt us from doing it ourselves. So that's our challenge, my brothers and sisters. We will all give an account. And if we don't live to see next week, I pray that the account we have is a good one. So here we are at the end of our Bible study. I hope it was a little challenging and uplifting for all of you. Until next week, God bless you, and don't forget to live a new life in Christ. Christos Anesti.
Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.